Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. Hello and welcome everyone to a Sunday, July 10th edition of the Locked On Blazers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Eric Garcia Gunderson, and for the last three years, I was the Blazers beat writer for the Vancouver Columbian. I've covered the team in a daily capacity for the last four seasons, and you can find all of my written work now at blazersedge.com, and you can listen to me every day here on the Locked On Blazers podcast, hosted on the Audio Boom Network. Our podcast should be on iTunes very soon, and you can subscribe to the RSS feed if you are an Android user. Welcome back. We knew, or I guess not welcome back if this is the first time listening, so welcome, period. Uh, But we knew some news would be breaking today on the Blazers front with the deadline to match Alan Crabb's four-year, $75 million offer sheet from the Brooklyn Nets. But we had some other stuff go down as well today on Sunday before the Blazers take on the San Antonio Spurs uh, later this evening in the Las Vegas Summer League. But we're not going to wait for that to podcast because some much more important stuff went down today that has a greater long-term impact on the Blazers franchise. And frankly, nothing that happens at Summer League is going to do that. So we knew that the Blazers were going to have a decision to make on Crab's offer sheet, and they made it, matching his four-year deal worth $75 million from the Brooklyn Nets. It could reach $83 million with incentives, and there's a trade kicker. So if the Blazers do decide to trade him, the team that gets him will have to pay him, uh, will have to give him a raise if, if the Blazers do indeed trade him. The other big news of the day was that the Blazers brought back Myers Leonard to a four-year, $41 million deal, according to The Vertical. But let's first talk about Portland's wing situation, because I think when you're paying two small forwards about a total of $145 million at the very least, potentially $150 million over the next four years, I think that is a little bit more important. And... The Evan Turner deal still, let's be, I, I'm still, it's still a little weird for me. The, I think the one thing that you can take away from it, though, is that the Blazers are not worried about paying the luxury tax. Paul Allen was reportedly very moved by the Blazers' playoff run. Uh, there was a story by Jason Quick after the Blazers were eliminated by the Golden State Warriors that he was brought to tears in the Blazers locker room after they were eliminated. So uh, obviously, you know, how they performed, how they exceeded expectations, how they improved left an impression on Paul Allen because he's willing to pay for this team. Now, you know, they don't really, you know, they can make some decisions before the trade deadline and to get under the tax if they need to do that. Right now, it looks like Ed Davis's contract is probably the most tradable, but also, as of right now, Davis is the ranking veteran on the team, and I know that Lillard is a very strong leader, but it's always good to have a guy who's been around the block a few times like Davis. He was a big locker room presence last year, and 
you know, I just have a feeling that they're going to keep him, even though he probably has the most enticing deal for another team should the Blazers decide to move one of their big men. And then also, you know, talking about the luxury tax, C.J. McCollum's max extension is going to come next summer, and the Blazers are going to have to do that. Uh, excluding Crab, the Blazers should be able to trade anybody before the deadline next season. The fact that they were able to sign Myers Leonard to their own deal and not match him gives them a little bit of flexibility in that regard because they don't have to trade him until, uh, or they can trade him after December 15th if they see fit. I don't think that that's going to happen. I think they're going to let this team work out who it deserves to be on the court before they, they make any rash moves. Using the salary cap numbers uh, provided by the Vertical's Bobby Marks, the Blazers could pay Mo Harkless something under $8.9 million per season next season and stay below the tax line for the upcoming year. But it would make sense for a wing of Harkless's athleticism and age, only 23, to make more than nine per season. Obviously, Olshay has been, uh, Neil Olshay, the Blazers president of basketball operations, has been doing extremely well with these value deals outside of the Turner deal, which, you know, it, it makes it seem like, uh, you know, ownership wanted, was encouraging spending this summer. I can't, you know, I mean, this is not a report. It just seems like you look at the guys that they brought in and you look at the money and it, it, it's clear that Paul Allen is really ready to spend on this team. And, the Blazers are right up against the tax line. They are at, I believe, $1.6 million away from the tax line, according to Bobby Marks of the vertical. Uh, we don't, you know, we don't know yet what Harkless is going to get, but it would it seems like a pretty safe assumption given what other wings have gotten on the market, given his age, given how he really helped himself last year, that he would get more than nine million, more than $8.9 million. So who's going to start for this team? I would assume, given that Turner's best skills overlap with the best skills of C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard, that he would fit more as the sixth man for this team because his ball handling is is probably his best asset. He is not a good three-point shooter. Portland's best finishing lineup in the fourth quarter last year was Lillard, McCollum, Crab, Aminu, and Mason Plumley, and so you you look at that and you think, okay, so why why was that their best closing lineup? Well, it helps that you have a thirty nine percent shooter in Crab to space the floor for your two elite shot creators in Lillard and McCollum. Uh, a couple of folks, you know, have told me that you know if you start Turner, a couple of people on Twitter today have told me, you know, it, it's not an issue if Turner's the one handling the ball, but. The Blazers had a really, really. I let's just let's not kid ourselves here. The Blazers had a really, really good offense with Lillard and McCollum handling the ball the majority of the time. They had the sixth best offensive rating in the league. So, in the words of the great philosopher DJ Khaled, "Don't play yourself." Lillard and McCollum are elite shot creators, and Evan Turner is not. Like I, I know that they're paying him a lot of money, but it's just not. He's not that. So, so let's. I, I think that. When push comes to shove and the game's on the line, whether it's – I mean, I think Crab should start, and I think he should finish the games. I, I think it just makes the most sense. That was their best finishing lineup last year. I think they should just start games like that because it, it just makes more sense. And 
A couple people have also, you know, said, well, Turner's not the ball handler, or Crab is not the ball handler that Turner is. He had the lowest turnover rate on the team among the guys that actually played on the floor. So he's not going to turn the ball over. He's a really good shooter. He can get to his mid-range jumper, that 17, 18-footer, 16-footer, and knock it down. And Turner is a pretty good mid-range guy. He, can, he has that floater game a little bit. He can get to the rim a little bit more, which is a valuable thing that the Blazers are going to need. And I, I don't think he's not... He, I don't think he doesn't have any value. I just think on, on the starting lineup with CJ and Dame, it just doesn't really make sense to start him because you're going to need another ball handler when one of those two guys goes off to the bench. And that's when he's going to provide the most value at 6'7", to be able to handle the ball, get to the rim, and make plays, because you don't want to take the ball out of C.J. and Dame's hands. Like, they were the sixth best offense in the league. I, I have to say this again, and this is, with that was McCollum's first season really handling the ball that much, and I think he can get better, and if you provide Lillard and McCollum with really, really good spacing, I think that is is even more of a benefit. And I, I just don't see the benefit of taking the ball out of Lillard and McCollum's hands, especially to start the game. I think during the course of the game, Turner will be of value, but I just don't think he's going to be a lo- add a lot to what the Blazers do offensively, especially at the start of games. And the Blazers aren't going to box themselves in any starting lineup right now. I highly, highly doubt that Terry Stotts is going to say in the middle of July, whenever they have the press conference to reintroduce Alan Crabb and the extension or whatever, or talk about it, that they're going to commit to a starting lineup today or this week or next month. They're not going to do that, but it just makes the most sense in my opinion, given how I've given what I've seen, given how the Blazers have finished games. I mean, you look at the series against the Warriors Harkless did play and start, but their best lineups, again, were with Crab on the court at three because he could create, he could space, and he can score. And and that matters. So playmaking matters, but you also have to score. And uh, Michael Morris at Mike underscore Morris 22 on Twitter asked me uh, a, a, a good a good question. How How is Turner playing with the starters different than Harkless? And I think I can sum that up in one skill that Harkless possesses and that he brought to the starting lineup last year that Turner just does not have or just has not shown recently, especially in his time in Boston, is offensive rebounding. Harkless had an offensive rebound percentage, which is the percentage of off- available offensive rebounds that a player grabs while they're on the court, at 7, 7.5%, and Turner's was 2.3. 2.3. Like, that was almost as... Isaiah Thomas who is tiny was at 1.8 last year. And you know, some of that could have been philosophy, but this is what I'm telling you that Harkless brought to the lineup that Turner does not really bring. Turner may be a good defender, ball handler, definitely an upgrade to Harkless. I'm not going to argue with you there, but the offensive rebounding, the fact that Harkless was a six, nine battering Ram that would just come from the corner and crash down and get offensive rebounds. That's how he helped. That's how it's different than starting Turner, even though they are comparable outside shooters. So thanks to Mike for asking that question. I'll try and respond to more on the podcast as we go along here. You know, we got a lot of days here. We got a lot of months until the season starts. So I'm sure we'll have a lot of things to talk about. I would love to answer more Twitter questions. Uh, so send them to me on Twitter at Eric underscore Gunderson. I'm sure we'll have a, a locked on Blazers Twitter handle soon as well. But 
I think Turner should fit in here like the sixth man with the Blazers. It kind of reminds me in a way, uh, I think Evan Turner's the 2016 version of Enos Cantor, except for the fact that no team was forcing the Blazers to pay Evan Turner four years, 70 million. But I, I do think he will bring value. And I think what you see here is that the Blazers want to win now and that they are going to spare no expense to try to win as many games as possible, get as high a seed as possible, and probably, and, and you know, it's going to be tough to get to the second seed, but to stay off the Warriors' side of the bracket, but, you know, with the depth that they have, you know, that matters so much more in the regular season, and if they bring back Harkless, they're going to have a lot of wings that need to play, but they're going to have a lot of wings that can play in a lot of different situations, and I think depth is going to be huge for them, especially in the regular season, uh, because that is something that, you know, it's just more effective over the course of the regular season because guys get tired. You can cycle guys out. You can play them against different lineups. And if they bring back Harkless, you have another guy who can play four alongside Al- or after Alpha Rukaminu because Alpha Rukaminu has, by according to the Blazers brass, is penciled in as the starting power forward for next season, which brings us to the other big news of the day, which was bringing back Myers Leonard. Leonard came back for a four-year, $41 million deal, and if you look at the versatility of Harkless and Aminu and their ability to really play what is in the modern NBA a stretch the power forward position because all the fours, you know, with the, the exception of a couple of teams, are all, you know, these quicker a little bit smaller than your traditional guy, not guys that post up, guys that can space the floor a little bit, can guard multiple positions. That is your four in today's league. And it looks like, it just on the surface, that there are less minutes to go around for Leonard than there were last year with the fact that the Blazers are really embracing this small ball identity. And according to Jason Quick, Leonard turned down a four-year, $40 million offer in the fall, and he got an extra million on top of it. Uh, Leonard and his agent were definitely hoping for a bigger payday and they thought that he could really play his way into a bigger contract. I, I had heard that he was hoping for something in the ballpark of $60 million last year. And, you know, he probably would have gotten that had he not gotten hurt. And, you know, that injury probably cost him some money, but in the long run, I think it's worked out for Portland at the very least. And I think that Leonard, you know, he's a real asset to this Blazers team and, I, but I just don't see him being a stretch forward. Like, I, I, it, it's just not what the league is right now. And I know he was hoping for a bigger payday, but I think his his value tanked, with, with especially with the Blazers advancing as far as they did without him. And the shoulder injury probably also scared some teams off because, you know, he's had some shoulder problems in the past. And, you know, having injured uh, a shoulder and had surgery myself, I, and my doctors have told me, you know, once once you hurt your shoulder, it it's going to be easier to, to dislocate it and injure it again. So I'm sure teams have their questions, but, you know, unless he improved his footwork or has gotten a lot faster, he just can't stay with the power forwards of today. He just can't do it. It's just not, he he his foot speed is just not there. And I think that, you know, that's something that the Blazers are going to have to deal with. And unless they're playing a team that is, you know, plays a bigger style, thinking of the Spurs if they start Gasol and Aldridge together or the Jazz with Gobert and Favors, I can't really see Leonard playing the four outside of those types of situations. 
And so you're going to have a, a major logjam, as we mentioned in the in the Festus Azili podcast, about you know who's actually going to play because you know the Blazers were smart to bring Leonard back. He's he's a weapon, and in the terms that my friend Danny Larue coined, I'm just going to give him credit. I I think he invented it uh, in terms of the type of player that Leonard is. He's a counterweight against the game's elite rim protectors. And I think the better the center is, the more valuable Myers Leonard becomes because his, suddenly if you have him in at center against an elite rim protector, that elite rim protector can no longer protect the rim because Leonard is an excellent three-point shooter, especially for his size. You know, his percentage was down for a lot of last year, but he really shot the ball well before he got hurt. And you put him out there against a really good center, and then all, all of a sudden, the, the, their best asset is neutralized by the fact that Leonard can really stroke it. And there probably is no more divisive player among fans uh, than Myers Leonard. But he has a real skill, and at his size, he's a real asset. And he can defend the post a little bit. His pick and roll still needs work. His awareness still needs work. But the Blazers are giving him another chance at a pretty good cost to prove that he can be that guy eventually. And I I think it's super smart of the Blazers to bring him back. And the contract that they brought him on was a great value. I mean, next year, it's going to be less than 10% of the cap. And if he can figure out the defensive end of the court, it which has been the, the question for him for you know his entire career, it unlocks him into a, a, a really special player. And you know we'll wait and see if that happens. Uh, but even if he doesn't get to the defensive potential that you know everyone wants him to be, he has an a, a, a very an elite skill at his position if he plays center. I mean, that's not an exaggeration. His shooting is elite among centers and he can really get big guys out of the paint and they've locked him up for four years. They're going to give him a chance to get better. And like I said, he's not your a traditional four. He's not a four in today's game. He's just not, I know they tried to do that with him, you know, the last couple of years, but I think the Blazers have changed. The league has changed. And I think he's really a, an excellent asset as a stretch five. And I think that that is his future. I don't expect him to start, but uh, especially with the fact that CJ and Dame are going to be taking way more shots, you know, they're going to be taking the majority of the shots and you add crab in there. If he starts, they're all going to be taking more shots. So, you know, you just need a, a dirty work guy in there to start games. But I think it, you know, in the second and third quarters, maybe even the fourth quarters, depending on who they're playing, if they're playing a really strong rim protector, I, I, I mean, Leonard is, is a valuable piece. And I, I think I'm, I'm, I think it was very smart of the Blazers to not only bring him back, but lock him up for four years. Don't let him get that qualifying offer because then you open yourself up to the fact that, you know, what if Leonard has a, you know, a a monster season next year and then he gets a big contract and you can't match because he's an unrestricted free agent. So the Blazers are very deep. There are legitimate questions about their big man situation. And there's serious questions about the health of their big man. I think, uh, Obviously, we talked about Leonard's shoulder at the top, and Mark Spears of the Undefeated reported on Saturday that the value cost on Festus Azili's contract, the two-year $15 million which uh, number, which was way below market value for what other centers were getting, 
was due, in fact, to his knee concern, to concerns about his knee and, or both of his knees, excuse me. And so the the Blazers bought low there and hoped that you know he could provide some rim protection in the meantime. But uh, even though you know the Blazers at, at, and Azili himself said, at, or the Azili himself said at the press conference that the knees were fine, it's clear that they're not. And it's been reported as such by Spears, who uh, is one of the best reporters in the game. And uh, the Blazers are in kind of a weird place with all their big men because, you know, you've got two guys who are both very skilled, Azili at rim protection and Leonard with his three-point shooting at center. And both of them have major injury concerns. And then you have Mason Plumlee, who was their starter at center last year probably their best big man all season, but he failed to adequately depend, defend the paint, and his playmaking was a huge plus for the Blazers in the starting lineup, especially in the playoffs when you know got teams like the Clippers were basically just, all right, CJ and Dame, you're not going to beat us, and, and Mason Plumlee made plays with the ball in his hands. If he can find a go-to move to actually score then that makes him even more dangerous. And then the Blazers are in a very, very interesting situation with him in a contract year. But, you know, he doesn't really protect the rim. And so that brings another interesting question because how much do you think Mason Plumley gets on the open market? Does he get more than Leonard? Because, I, I, you know, he, he might, but he also may, you know, may not get... Uh, it's hard for me to see him getting, you know, Jan Mahinmi money even or Mozgov money when he's not really a rim protector, although he's, you know, a pretty tough guy. Uh, and you, you look at Ed Davis as well, who has probably the most tradable deal with two years left on it. But right now, as it stands, he's the senior member, the most senior member of the Blazers team. And I think they would lose a lot in the locker room if they didn't have him. And maybe they decide to waive Luis Montero, who... You know, I said on the last podcast when talking about Summer League, they, the Blazers really liked, they really loved his his package of skills and his size uh, Last when they brought him in for a draft workout, and they've kept him around uh, this long. But they might give him, I think they will give him one more year and also waving Montero and bringing him on and bringing in a veteran, which is something that uh, some people have suggested. My buddy Chris Lucia from Blazers Edge suggested that they could do that, but that would take them deeper into the tax. And I think although the Blazers want to, or clearly are willing to go into the tax, I don't think they'd need to make their tax burden that much deeper, especially when, you know, Montero's making the, you know, rookie minimum at, you know, $525,000. And if they retain Harkless, you know, they don't need to go any deeper into the tax than they are already will be because they, they will be in the tax if they bring Harkless back at anything above, you know, at $9 million or more. The Blazers are probably going to have the most competitive training camp that they've had in recent memory. Uh, their their guard rotation is super deep. Whether Crabber Turner starts is probably the only question among the guards, and I've already said my, my piece on who I think should start, but you never know how these things go. Um, I, I think Crab will eventually be the starter. He's getting paid more. He's a better shooter. He fits better with CJ and Dame. They finished games with Crab on the court with CJ and Dame. I just think you connect all those dots and you look at Turner's best skill and that's handling the ball and CJ and Dame are better. And so I just don't see that happening, but it, you know, you never know. I'm ready to be wrong, I suppose, but I just it doesn't make any sense. And 
at least on my end. And the Blazers are fully loaded, and they need to be because the Jazz got much better over the course of free agency. They added Joe Johnson. They added Boris Diaw. The Clippers and Spurs, although they didn't do a whole lot, are still probably better than them. They definitely are better when healthy, I would say. I would pencil them in ahead of Portland as of right now, although the Spurs guards have shown their age uh, over the past couple of off uh, post-seasons, but they still won 67 games last year, so I'm not going to put them ahead of Portland, even though I, I have my doubts about how far they can really go. I just don't. Uh, but that's for another podcast. The Wolves have an excellent young core and probably the best young core in the league, but all they really did was add Chris Dunn in the draft, and he's just a rookie, and I don't think we can say that that takes them uh, over the top. Um, And uh, they didn't really do anything else to really bolster their team uh, outside of that. And uh, the Blazers have given themselves a, a great chance to be a top seed, a top four seed. They were the fifth seed last year. They're going to be battling in the Northwest Division, uh, at least for me, with with the Jazz for that the the Northwest Division championship. I think the Thunder, if they keep Russell Westbrook, are still going to be a, a force to be reckoned with. But I, without I, I I don't I think Portland is better than them now. I just think they're deeper. I think they're a little bit better, and and I think we have to see how things work out post Durant before we can really say that even though they added Victor Oladipo who I well, the Depot who I don't you know he he's okay but it's not like he can really score that well he's a great defender I'm sure the Thunder can you know the, they will win games and they will be a playoff team I'm sure if they keep Westbrook but that's a major question will they keep him and uh there's absolutely nobody getting in the way of the Warriors that's just it's just not going to happen I mean you can get your hopes up and I think the only way that that happens is if there are multiple injuries to their four, you know, great players. And even depending on who, uh, you know, those guys are, they still could probably, you know, handle most teams. Uh, But they they would have to have multiple injuries to their important guys for anybody to knock them off, really. And, uh, you know, but the Blazers are in position to have a top four seed. I think they're going to battle. They're really, really deep. They're really, really young. They can get better over the course of the year, as they did last year. That's one thing to remember about a young team is that, you know, what they are at the beginning of the season isn't what they will be at the end of the season. I think that was one thing that the Blazers proved, but they also had very good luck with health last year, and we'll see if they can have that good luck again, because that could derail anything as well, just as it could for any team. But the Blazers have put themselves in a very good position to battle with the rest of the West outside of, you know, your, your your Warriors and Spurs will probably win more games than them. But, uh, you know, they could battle with, with all those other teams, the, the Clippers, the Jazz, uh, to, you know, potentially the Grizzlies, you know, to potentially, you know, maybe get a top three seed. You know, that that's not out of the question for this team right now. I, anything further than that, I'm, I'm not really going to say that they'll have a chance at that, but you never know. And uh, yeah, they, I think they do have a chance to potentially get a top three seed with how deep this team is. If they bring Harkless back, uh, even more so. So, uh, but we're, we're going to wait to hear on that. The Blazers play Sunday evening, which is today uh, at seven in Las Vegas against the Spurs Summer League team. Uh, we'll touch on that, but that's it for this Sunday, July 10th edition. 
Thank you for joining me on the Locked On Blazers podcast. I've been your host, Eric Garcia Gunderson. You can follow me on Twitter at Eric underscore Gunderson. Our podcast should be on iTunes soon. You can get the RSS feed at audioboom.com. Uh, search for Locked On Blazers. You can just Google search Locked On Blazers and find the podcast. It's our first, It's the first result that pops up. So uh, stay tuned. We'll, we'll be here back tomorrow with another podcast talking about your Blazers. So we'll talk to you later. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.